The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. It had been suggested by one of our listeners last week that um, we need to do a regular review of alcohol. Like uh, we often talk about this, the scotch I'm desperately trying to learn how to enjoy. Uh, you've always got something unique and refreshing that's been brought in from somewhere around the world. But you spent what? The last... 24 hours hanging out with Courtney Love, so I highly doubt you need any more alcohol ingested. It's funny that you should ask, because I am sitting here with a glass of ice water, uh, because my my whirlwind trip uh, to New York uh, this past weekend was, um, well, I think between the time we got into the airport lounge at around noon on Saturday, uh, I time we got to bed 12 hours later later i believe there were 14 to 16 servings of alcohol oh man and that was just for courtney no that was uh that was me uh, i went <laughs> with my friend andrea uh courtney and i did not uh, go for drinks because she had to get up early and go to los angeles in the morning but uh, uh andrea and i were going to make the most of it and we certainly did and it was whoa the views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect your mother's opinion of your drinking, young man. <laughs> it, uh, yeah. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Van 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. An evening with Courtney Love will tell you why the widow of the late Kurt Cobain is looking to return to her first love. Why technology has stalled. We'll look at why the last 60 years looks nothing like the last 600. Sony gets out of the retail game despite beating Apple to the storefront experience by more than a decade. This as the car CD player gets ready to go the way of the 8-track. Plus, Spotify's big problem despite 60 million subscribers. And why the next generation in personal technology may have you singing in the shower. <laughs> oh, I don't like the sound of that. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. You've gone to see Courtney Love. Now, we've been doing this little thing behind the scenes involving Courtney Love here at the Geeks and Beats podcast. Is that something we can talk about yet, or is there still a legal issue associated with it? Which part are we talking about now? A mining through her f Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Let's not do that right now. Okay. So we can't talk about that. No, no. I talked to her about that. No, no, no. Okay. Ex-nay on the f is A. Uh, so what the heck were you doing in New York talking to the late Kurt Cobain widow? I guess she's not late. Well... A lot of people probably may have seen Courtney Love as an actress before they heard her sing. Back in 1986, she played the wailing punk in the early scenes of Sid and Nancy as they pulled uh, Nancy's body out of the Chelsea Hotel. There's somebody who looks a lot like Tina Yothers uh, crying over the body. That was a pre-nose job Courtney Love, and that's the first a lot of people ever heard or saw of her. Uh, she got into some acting early on, uh, but then music intervened, and she had a good run in the 90s. There were a couple of um, uh, roles that she had for film. There was Basquiat, there was 200 Cigarettes, and a couple of more. But then in 1996, she hit it really big playing Althea Flint, uh, the wife of Larry Flint, opposite Woody Harrelson in The People vs. Larry Flint. She was very, very good in that role and ended up with a Golden Globe for it. You're a classy guy. <laughs> I've heard that, you. This is moonshine. Is that, that was this moonshine, right? 
But it's okay. It's just some potatoes. What's it gonna do to me? Go ahead, it's fine. Natural. Uh, a couple of years later, she played Jim Carrey's girlfriend in um, Andy, Andy Kaufman's girlfriend with Jim Carrey in The Man on the Moon. And again, very, very good. But then things kind of went off the rails. And for the next 15 years or so, there were personal problems, financial problems, legal problems, family problems, drug problems, press problems, solo career problems, and all kinds of other horrible things. And how do you fit into all of this? Well, I don't. Or really, I didn't until January of 2014 when I was called to testify against her in a case involving an old lawyer. And I had to fly down to Los Angeles, and I was in the L.A. County Courthouse, and I was on the stand, and I had to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, as she stared at me from the back of the courtroom. But because none of my testimony was really incriminating, I didn't have anything else to, bad to say, um, I guess she found that rather endearing. So since then, we've been in touch on a, on a very regular basis. And when I heard that she, uh, you know, she was updating me over the course of the last year on her getting back into acting, the first thing that happened with her is that she was signed up to play uh, Ms. Harrison in The Sons of Anarchy. And that lasted for four episodes in the final season. Then she ended up with this Kansas City Choir Boy rock opera, which we'll talk about in just a second. That's what I went to see in, in New York. And in a week, I think it's a week from tonight, as a matter of fact, she will show up in Empire, the new Fox soap opera that's set inside a rap and R&B record label. Uh, and she plays Elle Dallas, uh, get this, a badly behaving diva drug addicted rock star. So it's a stretch. Uh, yeah, she said she calls it inspired casting. So what's happening now is that her acting career is really getting back on the rails. Uh, she did well in Sons of Anarchy. The Kansas City Choir Boy was a 10 night. I don't know how many performances, but there were like 15 or 12, uh, 17 performances. And the reviews were very, very good. Only one or two bad ones. And I went to see it Saturday night and I was in the small little theater off Broadway where the um, the stage, well, the audience was just sort of in chairs surrounding the stage in, in, in the middle. And it was about a 10 by 20 performance space. And she uh, performed with a guy named Todd Almond, who, who wrote Kansas City Choir Boy. And it's about a girl who goes to, leaves the Midwest, goes to New York, uh, and ends up getting murdered. And Todd plays the anguished girl, um, anguish and abandoned boyfriend. And it was really good. I mean, it wasn't very long, it was about an hour. And it was, it was really good. Stuck around for the after party, posed for some pictures. I'll, I'll post one or two of them on mm -hmm. in the show notes. Yeah, there was a, a photo that you posted to Twitter that when I saw that, I thought, I don't think wifey's going to be too keen on the way uh, you two have your arms wrapped around each other. Well, she understands. Listen, <laughs> I, I, um, she knows that I'm completely oblivious to the uh, advances of other women. So that uh, she knows that even if it's Courtney Love making a move at me, yeah, uh, I would go right over my head. And I wouldn't even pay attention. I would just like, what? Huh? All right. So what you need is, is you need me to be your virtual wingman then. We need an app where you can just show me the face of a woman who's got her arms wrapped around you. And I can say, dude, 
escape. Get out <laughs> now. You're a married man. Yeah. Well, a, a buddy of mine recently got married, and uh, I noticed he was f- uh, playing with his ring. Do you remember back in the olden days when you used to do that when you first got married? You'd spin it around in your hand there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comedian. I can't even remember the comedian's name. He had a great line. He said, you'll notice that newlywed men tend to fiddle with their ring and, and spin it around. What they're trying to do is figure out the combination. Oh, <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, so you've been a while, man. It's, you you got to back off on these rock stars well, wrapping themselves I, you around know, you. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, I'm, I'm listen, I spend a couple of hours in a hotel room alone with her. And all we did was talk. <laughs> and cuddle, apparently. <laughs> no, no. And she was on one side of the room. I was on the other side of the room. <laughs> uh, so when you made the, the trip down, uh, I know I don't need to ask you this, but uh, the last time I took a flight, which was to CES in, in Las Vegas, um, they had a neat new thing on the Air Canada Rouge where instead of in-flight entertainment with a screen on the seat back in front of you, you just pulled up your iPad and um, it automatically, if you tried to access the web, went directly to their video player. So you could watch anything you wanted. And if you just happen to not bring your own headphones, they would sell you headphones you were advising people to never ever buy cheap earbuds whether they be on an airplane or otherwise no there's a couple of things that we should know about earbuds the first one is that most of the products like everything else originates in china because as i understand it it's really only two or three companies that make all of the cheap earbuds if, if you're paying less than what 30 bucks or so chances are it's one of three companies based out of china or taiwan yeah and it's one or two companies that are making all the component parts so, you know, if you buy a skull candy set of uh, earbuds or you buy something that's, uh, you know, slightly more, slightly less, chances are you're basically getting the same headphones, all the, the, the drivers and the components and everything that goes into it. It's all about merchandising. Well, it is, because if, you ever, if you've ever been to China, and I've been there a bunch of times, you go and there's, they have these gigantic shows where people who specialize in creating one tiny product, there's a great book called, um, Drive, I think it's called Driving Across China. It's about this guy, this, this American who goes to China and he basically follows the Great Wall and visits all the places along the way. And he comes across this one town where their entire manufacturing output are the rings that you see in women's bras. Okay. The, the, they're called bra rings. And there are all these companies that, the, you know, one provides the, the epoxy that the bra ring place uses to make the plastic rings. Uh, another one, um, one company specializes in white rings, another one in black rings, and another one. And this is the whole town. All they do is bra rings. And that's what we have with, with virtually every constituent component and virtually everything that we buy out of China, and that includes headphones and, 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 uh, and earbuds. The difference between a $20 headphone uh, earbud and a $50 earbud is pretty much zero. It's all about marketing and packaging. If you're going to invest, you might as well spend $100 and up and know that you're getting components that are at least worth that, rather than something under 50 bucks, which it's the same stuff. It really is. According to the Consumer Electronics Association, shipment sales for wired earbuds will be almost a half billion dollars this year. Yeah. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah, it's, it, it's a huge business because, you know, they break, they, you, get, you lose them, they, you know, 
So, you know, it was, it, invest in a good set and just leave it at that. All right. So this is the point where we hit the commercial break. And anybody who's listening on terrestrial radio has to listen to commercials. But if you are a podcast listener via iTunes or Stitcher, you get to stick around and hear us talk about everybody on the radio while the commercials are running. You know, and, and we can talk about why you shouldn't buy those airline headphones. Because uh, their chances are... Okay, well, hey, hang on. Let, let's go to commercial. We'll be right back. Oh, I'm sorry. Own one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You, too, can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. So why shouldn't you buy the airline headphones specifically? Um, because, you know, how much are they? Three bucks on Air Canada? Wh where, where do you get a piece of electronics for three bucks? You, know, you just imagine the, the, how they source those and, and uh, what the manufacturers are paying the, uh, the people that, that, that make them. So, in other words, all you're saying is that this is more of a social statement about the $3 earbuds. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't. Not the quality of the earbuds themselves. Correct. It seemed like just yesterday that I got on a flight and they still had those old fashioned dual prong ones that forced you to buy the airline headphones as opposed to use your own. And it's only recently that they seem to have um, gotten rid of that. Well, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. They weren't making any money on those things because everybody was buying adapters right. to make your second, your, your single prong go into the two prong holes. Uh, and the other thing was, it, it was a huge amount, huge cost. As planes got uh, replaced, and you ended up with the single jack earphone plug-in, why would you want to go through the hassle of having airline headphones when everybody was bringing their own anyway? What do you think, though, of that whole uh, seat back idea, where they don't bother putting screens on the backs of the seat in front of you? And you're just, everybody seems to have an iPad or an iPhone or some sort of uh, tablet-like device now. Might as well just dial into what they're using, therefore you don't have to expend the cost of putting in physical screens and those screens never worked in the first place no no they don't there's there's some airlines like uh, Emirates Etihad Singapore and a few others that work really really well but what we see here in North America is is, is genuinely crappy uh, Air Canada hasn't updated their in-flight entertainment material uh, or equipment for more than a decade I used to work for them as as uh, somebody as a supplier of content I know and uh, when they replaced the in-flight uh, entertainment gear in 2004 or five-ish. That's when they got rid of me. Um, and it, it ha they haven't changed anything since. And, you know, on this this last flight that I took, uh, the selection was was is dwindling. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So if you can get, if, if all you have to do is have some sort of uh, streaming system on the aircraft rather than all these heavy, heavy uh, screens that don't always work. Well, hey, that makes a lot of sense. Save on the fuel, actually charge me more for an additional bag, making more money all in the round. And have a better screen. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. I'm a big fan of period TV shows and movies. Are you into anything like that? Um, are you talking about like retro television? Yeah, like your your Downton Abbey. Oh, that stuff. No, no, that kind of, no. You're not in any of that. No, not the that that kind of stuff. My period stuff is old bad science fiction. Oh, I see. Okay, so you're talking like 1950s Tobor and all that kind of mm, nonsense. I'm talking about uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson stuff. With uh, some have puppets and some don't. Five, four, three, two, one. 
Winners are go. Oh, I see. Gotcha. I, I'm I'm hooked on a TV show now um, starring Jeremy Piven, of all people. I'm sure you know of whom I speak. Yeah, yeah. For Airy Gold from um, Entourage. Yeah. You're fired. And in case your ears are f- get the f- out. Mr. Selfridge is the name of the show. And it, uh, are, you, are you familiar at all with... with no, L- no. What is this? London business history. Um, sort of, it doesn't begin and end with, with Harry Selfridge. But this American from uh, Chicago in the early 1900s went to London and went to Oxford Street, where it was, that was not where you opened up a department store. Um, and he turned the department store model on its head and turned Oxford Street into a go-to destination back in 1909. What he did um, was open up a department store, um, Selfridge, and he did things differently. His idea was, why should I go up to a counter and say I would look at gloves and then have to tell the clerk exactly what I wanted? Why not just put all the gloves on display and I can see them and say, I'd like to try that pair on. Thank you very much. In 1909, that was a huge change of the way things were done. Uh, You actually had floor walkers in stores who would kick you out if you didn't buy anything. The idea of just looking was abhorrent to the British in the early 1900s. So he came to London after spending time at Marshall Fields and built this store from the ground up. You may know Harry Selfridge better as the guy behind the term bargain basement. Really? You may know him as the guy who came up with the idea of only 60 more days till Christmas. He was the guy. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. You are in at the beginning of something amazing. The very best that London has to offer. We are going to show the world how to make shopping thrilling. Good morning, Mr. Selfridge. Well, Selfridge is, is still there on Oxford Street. It is, and it's an institution in, in London. This uh, entire TV show is about him, but it's also about the people who surround him, including one particular shopkeeper and I was, uh, or a clerk at, at Selfridge. And I was watching her, and I was thinking, my God, this woman has seen a remarkable evolution in technology. The year was 1910. She was probably 20 at the time, and she probably lived until about 1950 or so, if we want to think of it that way. And I was just thinking about what a remarkable evolution in technology she would have seen. The telephone and electricity, that was new in the early 1900s. A lot of the scenes take place where some of the uh, lesser shopkeepers and, and, and clerks, they're still using candles because they don't have electricity in their homes yet. Indoor plumbing was something that of a, of a novelty and only had been around for, for 10 or 20 years at that point. This would have been a woman who would have seen a remarkable evolution of technology. The, the steam train becoming a regular thing, motor cars, the aeroplane. Hey, radio, television. Exactly. Radio became television. She probably would have died at the point where television had just gone color. Uh, she would have seen uh, the first rockets launch, um, perhaps uh, the the uh, circumnavigating the globe, uh, orbiting the planet, I should say, mm. uh, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it got me thinking about... Um, uh, An interesting idea that when it comes down to it, she would have seen the height of technological progress. Peter Thiel is a a prominent technology theorist. He was one of the co-founders of PayPal. And he's got this theory that after 1970, technology 
stalled. Interesting. So he suggests that the personal computer revolution, mm-hmm. that uh, the continuing... The smartphone, the internet. Well, I, I was going to say, you know, we, okay, the internet, we talk about Moore's Law, we talk about, um, you know, all the things that have happened since 1970. I mean, I remember 1970, <laughs> and it was pretty primitive to compared to where we are today. But... What, what is he, what, what's, what's he talking about? All of the advances that have been made since 1970 were based upon breakthroughs that took place prior to 1970. Okay. The uh, microcomputer chip, uh, the transistor itself, nuclear power, the atom bomb, um, all of these things happened between 1905 and 1970, 1971. And everything that's come since has just been built upon the foundations that were established in that very small period of human history. Everything we know about the world today, technologically speaking, has to thank that very small window in the tens of thousands of years of human technological civilization. Well, that's true. I mean, there were a lot of huge breakthroughs. Now, we can also go back to the uh, to the Enlightenment in the period, um, let's say, from Galileo and Copernicus through to Isaac Newton, through to some of the uh, the British inventors of the 17th and 18th century. But you had all of that mathematical, uh, the physics, um, the engineering that took place largely stagnant over the course of three or four generations or three or four centuries. Whereas within just a period of about 60 years or so, we had an explosion. The world we see it today looks nothing like it did 100 years ago. But the year, the, the world from 200 years ago wasn't that much different than the world 400 years prior. This is true. Okay, I'll give you that. There are a couple of books that are out right now. One is by Walter Isaacson. It's called uh, The Innovators. Mm-hmm. And he talks about you know how people have innovated in technology over the last uh, 100 years or so. And then there is another book, and I can't remember the author, but it's called How We Got to Now. And he goes through six big ideas, and one of them being glass, uh, that shows exactly how we got to where we are today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, you know, we, it's all what Isaac Newton says, standing on the shoulder of giants kind of thing. Stephen Johnson's the name of the man behind How We Got to Now, Six Innovations That Made the Modern World. It's a good book. Very good book. The, the premise, though, behind why, the question becomes, why, what happened after 1970 such that we stopped having this um, leap in progress? And the basic premise is... We've invented everything there is to invent it? No, although there was a, a patent office um, president in the United States who was quoted as saying that back in the, the late 1800s. But the gist of it is, is that the Vietnam War changed and soured our world view and the Cold War that followed as well led us to stop thinking big that the future was now and um, that the next thing was just to come. So this is why we don't have hoverboards, jetpacks, flying cars and sex dolls. Not necessarily for the sex dolls, though. Gotcha. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. We have interns. Interns or patrons? Six of them. Well, technically they're patrons. Oh, I right. Sorry, sorry. 
You're right. It is the world's worst intern program. Uh, if you're a follower of the show, you may know that if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash donate, uh, we desperately try to get you to give us your money um, so that we can keep the show going. And multiple ways to do that, including just buying our swag, our miracle travel mug of traveling, etc. But then Jesse Brown at Canada Land has got this thing where at patreon.com, he's actually getting you on a recurring basis to give him money. And I thought, why not try that? So for $1, which is you paying us $1 per episode, you can become an intern on the world's worst intern program. And every time we put out an episode, we ding you for a buck. And now we've got six uh, pledges for a dollar per episode. So we've got six patrons to thank. Uh, Bevan is our latest uh, intern. Uh, John Buffoni, Mike Wise, uh, The Straw Hat No. I don't know. As well as Gary Stuthers and Joe G. Gary was the very first one to open up his wallet and pledge a buck an episode. So now we are rolling in it. We make $6 per episode. Okay, so that divided in two, that's $3 each, so... It's still not a large latte. <laughs> not per episode. No. <laughs> but we're working our way up. This is this is that thin edge to the wedge. It's just over time, it's going to grow. And next thing you know, we're buying Maseratis. I know. I know. Yeah. Actually, if you pledge $25 or more, you become an official co-producer of the world's most popular podcast. We'll talk about you. We'll send you the album mark for each episode and vouch for you on your resume or LinkedIn profile. No matter how much money you pledge, we will actually send you a link to the episode to get it before everybody else does. Now, there's a few other options as well, including a $500 per episode <laughs> option, which makes you a promoter of the show where we'll talk about you on the show, your product or whatever, uh, and a little error on the Bell Media Radio Network work in Toronto, Ottawa, and London, Ontario. And, of course, you get the episode before everybody else. We've had one nibble so far, and it's from a company that makes um, uh, vaporizers. Uh, are we talking? Not, not, not e-cigarettes. Vaporizers. Dave's not here! Oh... Yeah, I, so they, they haven't plunked down the cash yet, so we're not even going to talk about them. Uh, okay, fine. But if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash donate, uh, you can click on the link. Uh, just, it's a buck an episode. It's what's going to help ensure that this show keeps going. Do, do we have an, an advertising standards council uh, policy? Dave! Right, man, Dave. Now, will you open up the door? Dave's not here! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't is that would that even be something that we couldn't talk about on, on a podcast no the, uh, but on the radio I'm sure we can talk about know. that <laughs> what, whatever whatever those things are oh is that Captain Kirk yeah no no it's my friend or is that Jean-Luc Picard no it's 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 my friend Andrea who wants to talk more about the Courtney trip oh She's, she's still hung over from the Courtney trip. Yeah. All right. Well, you talk about her while we talk about the fact that uh, in the Geeks and Beats updates, uh, the big news update from Sony is they're closing all of their stores in Canada. Have you ever actually walked into a Sony retail outlet in Canada? I have. Why? You know, long before there were Apple stores, there were Sony stores. And Sony, a lot of people forget, was this giant multinational high-end electronics manufacturer. And the idea of having all these great Sony Trinitron TVs and everything else they sold in one store was really kind of cool. And there was a time way back when that I would go into a Sony store and, and you know look at the latest Bravia television, or I would go buy a set of headphones, or I needed some blank cassettes, or, or something like that. And it just made, it was, there was one nearby me, I was living in Waterdown, there was one in Burlington, and I would go, go there. But it, as time goes on, and consumer 
habits and products change, there was less and less of a, a, a need for me to go into a Sony store. And Sony has had such a bad run of things over the last, what, five, seven years in terms of their earnings and losses? Well, there's a rumor that not only are they closing the Canadian Sony stores, which we know is as fact, um, but that they may get out of the cell phone business altogether. They already unloaded their relationship with Sony Ericsson and that they may get out of the TV business too. What would Sony make other than $1,200 Walkmans? Well, they, they make a lot of industrial level stuff. So it's stuff that we don't necessarily see as consumers. Um, but, you know, Sony's not alone when it comes to the TVs because they're one of the few Japanese manufacturers left. Everything has been outsourced to Korea and China. I'm looking at this Reuters article that says that they're slashing their TV product lineup. They won't get out of TV altogether. Uh, and they'll probably put a lot of that money into their PlayStation 4. Do you even have a video game console? You don't strike me as a gamer. No, I'm not. I'm not. Neither am I. I, I this room that I'm, I'm in right now is all set up for a video game console, but I just, I just don't have the time and the inclination. I'm not a gamer. It's uh, going to uh, abandon its relationship with FIFA Soccer, Whoa. which was one of the big things that the PlayStation had going for it in the first place was that FIFA Soccer franchise, not unlike the, the Madden NFL that Xbox has. They're uh, trying to boost their sales for the video game division by a quarter to as much as 13.6% billion dollars and uh, personalized TV video and music distribution is apparently going to help lift the revenue per paying user in their uh, in their PlayStation division. Wow, that's um, that's rather ugly. But Sony's made a bunch of really dumb decisions. I mean, they invested in uh, they were the HD DVD people, weren't they? they? They have not made a lot of really smart moves. They put a ton of money into 3D TV. No one was interested in buying a 3D TV except you know, maybe someone who's got a kid and you want to get those animated movies. The 3D animated movies look great on those home TVs, but live action stuff was really fuzzy. It used to give me headaches as well when I tried to watch it. Yeah, I got, yeah, with the glasses, I got headaches too. Yeah. The other thing that they, um, they, they, they really screwed up as is when they got into the MP3 game, they insisted on having their own proprietary uh, file format. Right. Which nobody, you know, what was it called? iTrack or something? Something like that. Um, this is not the only company, though, that's starting to pull back on some technology. Hyundai has abandoned the compact disc player in its cars. Hyundai becomes the second manufacturer to announce that they're not getting into CDs and the first manufacturer to ban CD players from their entire product line. So it's, you know, this is going to be like a, I had a car with an AM FM CD cassette player. Wow, you had it all. And this is the way it was for, for you know, the early 90s. The last car was to have a cassette player as a factory option or a fa as factory equipment was... Uh, it was a Lexus SC450, I think in 2009. And that was the last time you could get a, a cassette player in a car. Now... We're starting to see the same thing happen with CDs. There was a photo that was making the rounds on the internet a few years back. It was, um, this was the CD, this was the stereo I wanted in my car a decade ago. And it was crazy image of uh, you know, this readout display with all sorts of neat little gizmos on it. And this is the one I want today. And it was the same panel, but the only thing on it was a line-in jack. Yeah. And today it's been updated to a third option, which is the same black panel. And all it has is a Bluetooth icon on it. Yeah, pretty much. That's all I want. That's all I want, and and that's uh, that's the situation these days. It is. Um, it's all about the connected car, and it's all about interfacing your 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 smartphone with your vehicle. Then you're gonna get the hipsters who won't buy a car unless it's got an eight-track cassette in it.
I haven't seen a car with an 8-track cassette in it for a very long time. <laughs> I remember the old family Cordoba had one, and it only had uh, two cassettes. One of them was Billy Joel, and the other was a, a comedy compilation album. Uh, Stereo 8 is actually what they called it before the rest of us ended up calling it 8-track tape. And when I say they, it was actually Learjet Corporation, Ford, uh, GM, Motorola, and Ampex. They all got together uh, to create what we now know as as the 8-track itself. Uh, it's amazing to think that they started this in 1963, 64, excuse me. At one point, they actually came up with a quadraphonic version of it. Uh, back in 1980, uh, 1970, uh, RCA called it the Quad 8, and nobody cared. It was kind of like the early version of the beta VHFs wars, I suppose. It was all actually replaced in the, the late 70s by your standard compact cassette, which we just ended up calling cassettes in general. And it all had its history in the 1950s with reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. Spotify now has 60 million users. Yes. But not all of them are spending money on Spotify. No. Spotify has a couple of tiers. The free tier, which is the ad-supported tier, is the way a lot of people get into Spotify. If you want to have all the functionality of Spotify, you have to pay a monthly fee, which is, I guess, $9.99 a month. Uh, the number of people paying Spotify for the full 
Monty, is about 15 million people. So what's the difference other than not having advertisements between the free service and the full-on pay service? Well, yeah, you uh, you get to skip more songs. You get more functionality in, in the interface. Oh, so why would I bother spending the money so long as I can suffer through the commercials? Ah, and people have been trained to do that since 1922 because of? <laughs> yes, terrestrial radio, yeah. Yes. So um, right now, I mean, any growth is good growth. I mean, right now we're seeing at the end of 2014, uh, 15 million global subscribers to Spotify, 60 million active users, and how many you know orphaned users? I don't know, but you know that's 60 60 million people, uh, 45 million of which are actually paying for the service. So. <sighs> Spotify has has a, a, a big job in front of them. They've got to convert these free users to paying subscribers. Well, there's an opportunity there because when you look at the chart, the graph shows that between you know May of 2014 and today, they go from 40 million active users to 60 million active users and 10 million paid subscribers to 15 million paid subscribers. Now you've got an opportunity to convince people to actually open their wallets. So how do you do that? Well, at least you've got the, the, the numbers to, to get into that. From 40 to 60, what's that? I don't know. I'm not the business guy. That's that's a fifth. That's a fifty percent increase. Right. Right. Ten to fifteen. What's that? Fifty percent increase. Fifty percent increase. So, although it looks bad on a graph, percentage-wise, you can see that the growth is is pretty much the same. The trick, though, is for this conversion, free users to paid users, and that's the challenge that's facing every single streaming music service now. If, a lot of people are very happy with uh, just the commercials and all the rest of it, but you know, it doesn't really pay a lot of bills, and it's going to create continuing. Well, it's going to result in continuing criticism of uh, Spotify not paying out significant amounts to artists. I'm worried about the other shoe dropping, and that other shoe being, and maybe this is a Canadian mentality, because I know that elsewhere around the world, we don't have the same kind of bandwidth caps that we do here in Canada. I'm worried about people buying into the Spotify experience, or any streaming music service for that matter, and then the first time they get dinged with a $40 additional bill for overusage on their bandwidth, they're going to say, okay, the first thing to go is the streaming music. Yeah, I get that complaint a lot from from people. People who uh, are, are new users and didn't have... I mean, I've got six gigs a month because I was one of the first, si uh, first people to sign up for that plan. Right. And they don't offer it anymore, but I'm never giving it up. Oh, I bet you won't. I nope. used to have it when I was at Rogers. I went across the street to Bell because as a Bell employee, I get a big discount on it. But I only get one gigabyte. My wife only gets one gigabyte. And I would say about three quarters of the way through the month, I get one of those little notifications in my text message thing saying, hey, guess what? You're almost done. Yep. We talked last week about uh, the changes that came in in the new year uh, with this third-party company that would fire off a notification to your internet service provider saying, I think this internet address is stealing something off the internet. You give them a, a big tongue lashing about this. Uh, and so then the ISP would fire off an email to you, the user, saying, hey, we've heard that you might be a thief. Cut it out. Uh, have you heard of anybody getting any of those email messages yet? No, but I've seen people writing about it. Apparently, they've this is a company out of the U.S. called Rights Corps. Um, they have nothing to do with the Canadian government. They have nothing to do with Canada. They have nothing to do with Canadian ISPs. So uh, I, I haven't. This, maybe somebody out there has received a, 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 some kind of shakedown notice. 
Rights Corp handles about one and a half million copyrights. It has subscribers with 70 American internet service providers, uh, and they have paid settlements to the company, including Charter Communications, CenturyLink, and others, according to this Wikipedia article I'm reading, so you know it must be true. Hmm. Typically, they send a settlement notice to an alleged infringing party through the ISP, uh, and then the settlement offers to relieve the legal liability of up to $150,000 per infringement. Okay, now that how, how could you justify you, you giving can't. somebody 150 grand for a single theft uh, based on US precedent, the Jamie Thomas case and a few others. Now in Canada, it's completely we don't do that. Well, hang, hang on because you get the notice saying uh, we noticed that you downloaded 60 movies. We're going to ding you $150,000 per movie or or for the low, low price of $20 per alleged infringement, which leads people to go, oh, my God, I better just pay this so that I don't lose the house. It's completely misleading. And here in Canada, they have absolutely no right, legally or otherwise, to demand payment for alleged infringement. Really? No. So if you get one of these notices... It's they're exploiting a loophole in the current Canadian law, the one that that went into effect on on January the 1st. Mm -hmm. And the government's got to figure out a way to close this law. There is no way that a foreign body can come in and shake down a Canadian on alleged charges of copyright theft. Uh, Not only in Canada, but apparently they're getting into Europe as well. They're investigating that expansion, according to the piece I'm reading right here. It's closed more than 75,000 cases of online uh, copyright infringement. Well, people want to pay up, they'll pay up. But it's, it's, it's almost like a ransomware situation. Man, oh man. All right. You want to have a weekly gadget feature? I do want to have a weekly gadget feature because you and I get all kinds of information across our desks and screens on a, any given week. Yep. And some of the gadgets that we see are, are really cool. Some of them are rather useless. And some of them are just so weird that um, they really deserve more attention than they get in the, wide, uh, in the mainstream media. So we're here to add a little color to your lives with some of the gadgets and the technology that's out there. Now, earlier on, we were talking about things that that innovation and inventions have stalled since 1970. Yep. I wish to refute that. Okay, what gadget do you have this week? This is made by a company called Lilo. That's L-E-L-O. Oh, I saw these guys at CES. You don't want to talk about this. The world's leading luxury sex toy brand. They have released a sound responsive sex toy that vibrates in time to music. And you can set this, well, there's no other way to put it, uh, to classical, reggae, rumba, jazz, and techno. (laughs) Okay. So let me see if I can wrap my head around this. Because the vibration is patterned on your musical genre. Or the vocal cords of your lover. Oh, your your partner can sing and the new Surrey 2 helps the singer explore the range of their vibrations from their vocal cords and you can use your voice in um, engaging ways. Oh, this is a terrible idea. Uh, well, do you really want your partner singing? At this point in your evening, it doesn't have to be singing. It's this is a sound activated setting. And it sets the pulses in rhythm with, with any sort of sound. So it could be music, it could be somebody's voice, or it could be 
you know, traffic noise. My thought, though, is the type of person who listens to classical may be very different from the kind of person who listens to techno, and therefore um, you're providing someone with a very different experience depending on their own personality. Yes, yes you are. Um, it is waterproof, I should mention that. So it's good for people who like to sing in the shower. And there is the all-important <laughs> <laughs> all travel lock feature, which means you can put it in your luggage and not have it accidentally go off while you're waiting on the baggage carousel. <laughs> they do call it the Lilo 2. Yes. So I suspect someone's had this kind of problem in the past. Yes, and they've improved upon it. It's better than the Lilo 1. You never want to buy version 1 of any technology. <laughs> yeah, well, that one only came in one color. This one also comes in purple and cerise. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.